All right, please take your seats. Well, welcome to One this morning. If you don't know who I am, my name is Tim Horman. I'm the senior minister here at One, and today is Pentecost Sunday. Did you know that? Today is Pentecost Sunday, the day, of course, when we celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church for power, for ministry and mission, and also power to know the Lord and to follow the Lord and to experience the Lord's presence. And so we're going to be doing something a little bit different today, as you probably noticed already. Normally we start with a few songs and then we go into the message, but what we're going to do today is I'm going to share some thoughts and then we're going to have an extended time of worship after the message today. That is if I don't go too long, I have to be disciplined. I've got all this time. Uh, <laughs> no, no. If I get to like, you know, 11 o'clock and just start doing this, stop, stop. Okay. Um, today, what I want to do, really building out of last week's sermon, where we looked at the crucial role that worship played in the life of David, how worship helped David to trust the Lord and find refuge in the Lord, especially during, during that incredibly difficult period in his life when he was on the run from King Saul and living in caves in the desert and everything had been taken from him and you can imagine the pain and frustration that he was experiencing and yet he was able to bring that before the Lord in worship and experience transformation, experience the formation of God's character within him, even in the midst of incredibly difficult circumstances. So worship plays a really important and vital role in the way that we experience God and the way that we build into our lives the character of God. Not only do we see this in David's life, of course, but all the way through the Scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, worship had a central role in the life of God's people. You know, the temple, the tabernacle was at the center of the people when they were traveling through the desert. Like the worshiping life of Israel was meant to be, uh, was meant to be the primary thing that defined them as God's people. So to experience God's presence, to be formed or discipled or disciplined in godly character and to be transformed into ever-increasing glory as we experience the knowledge and the power of God. So what I want to do ex with this morning is explore with you all how we can experience those things in our own lives as well, how we can enter into worship in a way that will enable us to be formed in those ways how worship can both form and transform us as followers of Jesus, as we learn how to, when we worship, engage with the Holy Spirit and experience the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And so we've, we're going to look at Psalm 95 to do that this morning. And what Psalm 95 does, it's a very interesting psalm, Psalm 95 actually teaches us how to worship. It is a, a psalm of worship, but it was a psalm written by David to teach us how to worship. So it, it, it's not just directed at the Lord, it's also a psalm kind of written to God's people to reveal how we enter into God's presence in a way that will be powerful for us. Um, and this is really important. I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard a sermon on how to worship, um, but I hope it will be helpful to you today. Maybe this will all just be very obvious and straightforward and like, yep, I know all this, this is great. But for those who perhaps you've never heard anything like this before, I hope it will be helpful to you because I think... A lot of us expect that what happens when we gather together in church to worship Jesus is that worship will just kind of happen, right? The, the band will start playing and the worship leader will lead us and, and the magic will happen. It'll just kind of happen as we gather. 
Um, but most of the time, uh, I don't think it's like that, or almost never like that. Um, yes, there are times when God moves powerfully in unexpected and surprising ways, and I've certainly experienced that in my own life. You know, I've come in to worship feeling fairly ordinary, you know, and then God moves in a really unexpected and surprising way. It just kind of, it's not what I, was, I thought would happen, um, and it's very powerful. But those experiences are very few and far between. Only a handful of times in my life. Most of the time, I have to actually posture myself in order to encounter God. Like, I have to posture myself and prepare myself in order to encounter God. I have to bring something to the worship moment, uh, to come and enter worship with intention and with purpose, okay? Not just to show up passively, but to come into God's presence with intention and with purpose. If I want to experience the fullness of what worship can be, then I have to bring something of myself to that moment with intention and with purpose. I mean, how often have I found myself, you know, a confession moment right now after church thinking, oh, well, you know, that Sunday didn't really do it for me this week. You know, I didn't really experience anything this week. I didn't really get anything out of it today. You know, I wasn't really into it. You know, but notice what I've done when I use that kind of language. I've turned worship into something that I expect will be provided for me, will be offered to me, right? That, that will be performed for me, rather than actually something that I'm meant to take responsibility to enter into with passion, with purpose, and with intention. Now, as leaders, you know, we, we, we want all the elements of our services to be done well, to be thoughtful, and our staff team work really hard to do that, and our worship leaders and our musicians and everyone else involved work really hard to make sure that what we're bringing to this moment is helpful, isn't distracting or weird, but is helpful to you so that you can enter into the presence of God. But we're not always going to get it right, right? But it's, it's not just us doing something for you, it's us together gathering as the body of Christ to do something with one another, together, as a family, Right? So it's not us performing for you, it's us gathering together to bring ourselves with intention, with purpose, before the presence of our Father in heaven. Amen? So as a follower of Jesus, I need to ask, as I gather into the worship moment with my family in Christ, am I taking responsibility to thoughtfully bring something of myself to this moment? Am I coming before the Lord today in a way that will honor Him and ensure that I can honestly engage with him. Now, there's no judgment here. Honestly, I find myself thinking this way all the time, and it's really challenging because what it reveals, I think, when I, when I you know, use this kind of language, ah, oh, well, worship didn't really do anything for me today, is that I am still far more formed and shaped by the culture around me than I am by God and by the Word of God. If I've if, you know, if we learned anything during the Revelation series, surely it was this, that this world is contested space, that we are in, uh, you know, that there are spiritual and cultural forces at work in the world, powers that are opposed to God, that are continually trying to shape us and disciple us in their own image, Right? I mean, this was all through the book of Revelation, that we are in a battle, we're in a spiritual war, there are cultural powers, there are spiritual powers around us all the time that are trying to shape us and disciple us and form us in their image, right? Things that are opposed to God, that are calling us to move away from the Lord Jesus and get us to worship idols, and that might be idols of money or career or achievement or beauty or sex or children and family or relationships or marriage or entertainment 
or travel or whatever it is. All these things are clamoring for our attention, calling us to bow down to them, to put our trust in, in them. They are trying to disciple us in the pattern of this world, right? And all week, um, we struggle with this stuff, don't we? We're assaulted with it. It's really difficult to resist their allure, to resist their influence. You know, and, and if you're anything like me, like by the time I get to Sunday, I'm feeling pretty bent out of shape. I'm feeling pretty exhausted with the struggle. I'm battle-weary, right? I need to gather with my brothers and sisters in Christ and worship the living God and be reminded of who I am and be reminded of the story that's meant to shape my life and to worship in the presence of God, in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the truth of the Word. I need to be transformed and renewed again in my mind and in my heart and in my body. As Paul says in Romans 12, we have this on the screen, therefore I urge you, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Offer your bodies as an act of worship. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And that's absolutely, friends, one of the main purposes of worship, I think, is we gather together to offer ourselves to God, to be renewed and transformed in God's presence, you know, to, to be reshaped in the pattern of the Lord Jesus, not the pattern of this world. But we need to contribute something to that, right? Uh, not to be passive, but to come in with determination into His presence, to bring our bodies into His presence with determination. The author, James K. A. Smith, is on the screen, has written a series of books on the transforming power of worship. says this, that Christian worship is one of the primary arenas in which we participate in the practices that shape who we are. If our, cult, if our worship simply mimics the disciplinary practices and goals of a consumer culture, we will not be formed otherwise. Conceiving of the church as a disciplinary society aimed at forming human beings to reflect the image of Christ we will offer an alternative society to the hollow formations of late modern culture. So what happens when we gather to worship is that we are being formed in the image of Christ. We are being, or if you like, we could put it this way, we're being counterformed uh, away from the image of this world, away from the pattern of this world, into the, into the life of Jesus. Worship is counterformation. Let's say that together. Worship is counterformation. So that's why God gives to Israel all these festivals of worship that they're expected to participate in all throughout the year, various rituals where they would gather together in Jerusalem and worship the living God. Why? Because the Lord knew that his people were constantly being tempted away by other gods, by false gods, by false idols. And so he builds into their worshiping life, into their calendar, all these moments where they're to gather from all over Israel in Jerusalem at the temple and remember who they are. Remember that they are God's people. And this was very wise of the Lord because he knew how powerful all the other idols are to lure people away from the living God. So he builds into their life, into the fabric of Israel's life, these patterns of worship. And this is to continue, in a sense, throughout our experience as the, the, the people of God now. Well, the worshipping life of Israel was intended to form the people of Israel as the people of God, and that's what worship is still intended to do now, to form us as the body of Christ 
into the image of Christ. That's why in Hebrews 10, where the writer of Hebrews is talking about the role of worship in the Old Covenant and how that's been fulfilled by Christ's sacrifice on the cross, he then specifically makes this point that, uh, you know, while we no longer need to gather at the temple to worship God, we do still need to keep gathering together to worship God. And this is what he says in Hebrews 10, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. The point is, I think, it's really difficult to be faithful to Jesus. Does anyone else experience that, or is it just me? It's difficult to be faithful to Jesus. It's getting really hot in here, guys. Could we turn the heating down just a little bit? Or maybe that's just me. I'm roasting up here. Maybe you're all freezing. Is anyone feeling a little warm? Yeah, it's getting a little warm. Uh, The purpose of worship is to help us, as we gather, to consider how we might spur one another on to love and good deeds, to help each other be formed in the image of Jesus and to be faithful to his call because it's hard to follow Jesus in a world that is against the purposes of God. So we need to gather together to be reminded of who we are, to be strengthened in the power of the Holy Spirit and to be um, reformed in this calling uh, to follow the pattern of the Lord Jesus in our lives. Are you with me? So worship is counter-formation because worship forms in us the character of Christ. As the beautiful hymn says, the come thou fount of every blessing. Anyone know that song? I love these words. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. It's a beautiful, isn't it? It's, it's expressing this desire for us not just to know the grace of God, but to be shaped by it, to be held by it, to be formed by it, so that our souls are kept safe in Christ Jesus, so that we're preparing ourselves for, as we, when we worship, for what will happen forever and ever, amen, in glory. And we are prone to wander, aren't we? We are very much prone to wander. Worship is given to help us Offer our hearts to God again and again that we might be strengthened to be faithful until Christ's return. Now, I think the point here is, if we want to prioritize our growth in Christ, then we have to prioritize worship. You have to belong to a worshiping community that's helping you uh, not just curate your preferred spiritual experiences, but to shape and form in you the character of Jesus. It's interesting to me that we live in a time when we have more access to Christian stuff than at any other point in human history. Like, you can curate your, your spiritual experiences in a way that would just blow the minds of any other previous generation of followers of Jesus in any other country at any other point in history. Like, we can download podcasts, the best teachers, best preachers. We can watch services online, the most amazing churches around the world. We can download, like, anointed worship music at any time, at any place. And yet, the church in the West is declining faster than at any other point in history. Something is deeply wrong here. So it's not, it can't just be about consuming spiritual stuff, consuming good content, 
It's got to be more than that. It's got to be about us investing ourselves in something. It's like the difference between going to a fast food restaurant and just paying your money and ordering your food and it gets given to you immediately and it's tasty but probably not very nourishing, probably not very good for you, versus like taking time to prepare a really good meal. It takes intention, it takes creativity, it takes thoughtfulness, it takes, it takes time. You've got to invest yourself in it so that it not only tastes good but is actually also good for you, right? And so I think we're at a point in history where we've got to reimagine and rediscover what it actually means to belong to a church, belong to a worshiping community, where we're not just consuming spiritual goods, but actually investing ourselves together in the work of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? And I'm not, I'm not trying to cast judgment on anyone here, honestly. Uh, I struggle with this stuff as well. But I think the point is, and I say this as a brother in Christ, you simply cannot stand alone against the immense pressures of the culture, the spiritual forces that are at work against you, without being part of a community of people who are seeking with all their hearts to love and to follow and to worship Jesus together. Are you with me? So how do we worship? How do we partner together with the Holy Spirit to encounter God and experience this kind of counterformation? If it's not just something that happens, how do we bring ourselves to this moment? And so as we look at Psalm 95, uh, one of the Psalms of David, uh, written to teach, as I said, the people of God how to enter the presence of God in worship, um, I think it gives us some really good clues, some really helpful um, instructions on how to worship in a way that will be most helpful to us. So let's, um, where are we? First thing we see, if we could actually just go to the psalm, please, the first slide of the psalm, that would be awesome. Um, psalm 95, what do we see first of all in this psalm? We see this invitation. Actually, it's not an invitation, it's a command. This is an imperative. Come, come let us worship, for, uh, come let us sing for joy to the Lord. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. We see this imperative. It's a command. Worship is a command. David begins with this call to worship, and then he invites us to experience that moment in a number of different ways. He says, come, let us sing. Come, let us bow down. We see a number of things around this. Let us shout. Let us give thanks. Let us make music. Let us kneel. In other words, as we read this psalm, we, we see immediately that not only is worship a command, something that the people were commanded to do, but it's also an invitation, come let us, they have the imperative and then it's kind of, it's modified by this invitational tone, come let us together enter into the presence of God and we do this in a number of different ways and so we see here this call to participate in the presence of God together as a command and as an invitation why? Because the people of God were being lured away by all kinds of other idols, and so God instructs them, invites them, commands them to gather together to worship in order to experience counter-formation. So again, worship is what? Counter-formation. Um, the, the German theologian Karl Barth, who was a significant resistor of the Nazi party in World War II, once said this, it's on the slide, that to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. I love that. To clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning 
of an uprising against the disorder of the world. And worship is the same. To worship is to resist the powers of this world. And that's why I think, again, in Revelation, the central picture that we see in the book of Revelation from Revelation chapter 5 is the worship that's going on around the throne of God day and night forever and ever because God is showing John, this is the reality that you inhabit. So at any time, at any moment, at any place, no matter what's happening in your life, you can come before the throne of God with the angels and creation and all the elders and you can worship the Lamb of God who is both the lion and the lamb, the lamb slain. You can gather at his footstool and worship him. You can enter into this at any moment. And here's what the pastor John Tyson says. When you gather in Jesus' name, no matter how large or small the assembly, you are bearing witness before the powers that be that you cannot be bought. Your heart will remain steadfast, your resistance potent, your vision glorious. Repentance and worship become your rhythm, and idols are resisted and replaced. Tiny outposts of worship can defy principalities, reconcile communities, transform history. God is at war for the love of your heart. May your worship resist idolatry. We cannot let busy travel schedules, kids' sporting events, vacations, holidays, and personal preferences take priority over our call to worship. If we are not careful without meaning to, we'll give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, and this means we become more shaped by the rhythms of the culture than the gospel. And yes, our hearts are prone to wander. So if worship is going to have this kind of power in our lives, the next point I want to make is that worship must involve both the head and the heart. It must involve both the head and the heart. And we actually see this um, in verse 3. As Jesus said, by the way, we will worship in both the spirit and the truth. So we worship biblically, we proclaim the truth, but we also worship in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. In a sense, we're inviting, anytime we worship, this integration of the head, the mind, and the heart, of the soul, of what the spirit is doing in in our lives, in our interior lives. And we see this in verse 3, we're told... For the Lord is the great God, the maker of all things. Um, If you see there, the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and in his hands uh, he formed the dry land. So we get this declaration of who God is. He's the great King. He's the great God. He's the maker of everything. But then notice what happens in the psalm doesn't just stay in the abstract, like God is the God of gods, the King of kings. But then it invites us to come, let us bow down in worship, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is not just the great King, He is our God. He is our God. And we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Note the shift from the King, this royal language, to this kind of pastoral shepherding language. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords, the great God, the maker of heaven and earth, and He's also our shepherd. He's the one who loves us. He wants to come close to us. So in a sense, you can see in this psalm, there's this declaration of the head, the mind, of the truth, and then there's a longing of the heart. You are the King, but you're also my God, my my shepherd, and you want to be close to me. 
So worship is a response to the revelation of the beauty and majesty and glory of God, absolutely. And when you see something beautiful, what do you do? What do we do when we see something beautiful as human beings? We kind of instinctively worship. That's what we do. That's how we're made. That's how we're wired. We're wired to be worshiping people. Um, We worship what we love, and we love what we worship. And so when you see something beautiful, when you see something glorious, you can't help but feel it, can you? It's sort of something moves on the inside of you, and you go, oh, that's awesome. Like this, you might be really into puppies. <laughs> you might look at that and go, oh, that's so beautiful. I'm just moved in my heart. Or maybe, maybe puppies don't do it for you, but might be, maybe one of these animals will do it for you. <laughs> right? Listen, you, you see that, and you go, oh, something in your heart just moved. Now, maybe you're not really into animals so much as that you like to eat them. Next slide. That might really move you, right? You see that and you go, oh, yes, I'm worshiping right now. Or maybe, you know, maybe you're into something more like this. You see something like that and you go, yes, I love that. Something in me is moved. Amen. A a number of years ago, um, we were traveling uh, through the U.S. and I got in my car in the middle of the night and drove out into the desert. We're in like Utah or Arizona or something. And I drove out into the desert, away from the city, and I lay on the, on the hood of the car, the bonnet of the car, sorry, my North American reference there, and I looked up at the stars at night. Now, this is not the image, of, this is not a photo of what I saw, but when you're out in the desert and there's no light pollution and you're just observing the Milky Way, it's glorious. And I remember just lying there on, the, on the, the bonnet of the car, looking up at the sky, just going, wow, this is amazing. Like, I was moved to worship God, it was so incredible. And so when we see something wonderful, we can't help but worship, respond with wonder and with awe. Being in God's presence should move our hearts. That's why we sing and make music and bring creativity to the task, because the songs are not just designed to proclaim the truth, the songs are also designed to move us in our hearts, to, to, to stir up our emotions. And that's not bad. That's a really good thing, that we bring the truth together with how we feel, the truth with our emotions, the mind and the heart together is so important. And Paul describes this in Ephesians 1. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, that's, you know, the the interior part of your soul may be enlightened, your imagination, in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power toward us who believe. Like, that's what worship is meant to do. Okay, but you might say, you know, Tim, that's great, wonderful, but when I sing, I don't really experience that. I don't experience that wonder, that awe. I'm not really moved in the way that you're describing. So is there something wrong with me? Is there something that, that I'm not doing right here? What's, what's going on? You know, I've had many conversations with people about that over the years. But I suspect, now, first of all, let me just say, I don't experience that every time I gather to worship with others, right? It's not like it's mind-blowing every time. But I think there are some things I can do to enable myself to enter into the presence of God in the way that we're talking about today. Uh, But let me, I I would hazard a guess that many of you would have a few songs that you've sung over the years, over your life, that really have moved you, right? Uh, For me, it's songs like, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Like, every time I sing that song, I'm just so moved by the Lord, by the wonder of the truth that we're proclaiming. Or, of course, Amazing Grace, like the, the most, probably the most famous worship song of all time. And just recently I was in London, as many of you will know, and I got to go to John Newton's church 
and sing Amazing Grace in John Newton's church, led by an African couple. If you know anything about John Newton's life, he was at the forefront of the anti-slavery movement. That church is now led by a Nigerian-born pastor. And we were led in amazing grace by this African couple. And I tell you what, there was not a dry eye in the room. We were just weeping because this is an expression of the kingdom of God. He was a man who, who wrote this song as an expression of worship and longing for God, was used powerfully by God to, tr- to change Britain. And here, the church that he led for so many years is being led by an African It's just beautiful. It's such an incredible expression of the redemption and the hope that we're part of as God's kingdom. So just to be reminded of of what God is doing in the world and to sing Amazing Grace in that room with other people was just so powerful. I was weeping. Um, And Can It Be, one of my favorite hymns. Uh, One of the ones we sing a fair bit around here, Fresh Wind. I love that song. Uh, It's just, you know, in terms of the way that it describes the life that we share in the Holy Spirit, it's so powerful. Um, But putting aside the specific song or songs for the moment, part of our responsibility, our contribution when we worship is not to be passive, but to be active and to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? Okay, I'm just going to finish with this. We have to obey the command to come into God's presence with intention. Okay, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. You've got to be thoughtful about this. You have to be determined. We should sing actively, Uh, not just say the words, but put your heart into it. Anglican liturgy actually starts with these words, lift up your hearts, and the response is, we lift them to the Lord. Any Anglicans in the room? Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Why does the liturgy start that way? Because it's an invitation to bring your heart into it, not just your mind, but bring your heart into this moment. And we're called to then engage actively with the words. Like, don't just sing them, but think about them, visualize them, picture God as you sing them. Be actively praying, come Holy Spirit, I'm here to seek you. I need your help. Help me to worship. Help me to lift up my hands. Help me to bring my heart to this moment. Be active in this moment. And finally, use your body. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Worship is meant to be physical. Yes, it is. Do you know, uh, I mean, Psalm 95 says this, let us sing, let us shout, yes, so use your voice, but it also says what? Let us bow down, let us kneel, and there are a bunch of other Psalms that say, let us lift our hands in worship. Worship is physical. Did you know that um, there there are several Hebrew words for worship, and all of them involve the body in some way? Okay, there's yada, which means to worship with arms raised. There's barak, which means to kneel down in adoration. There's shabach, which means to address in a loud tone, to shout. There's halal, from where we get hallelujah, which literally means to celebrate with exuberance, aka to dance. Did you know that's what you're saying when you say hallelujah? I dance before the Lord. Whoa, all of us are just like, I'm never saying that again. Zamah, which means to worship with instruments. Uh, Tehillah, which means to sing and make music. In Hebrew, point is here, folks, in Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, worship isn't worship unless it involves your body. Okay, turn to the person next to you and go, I'm freaking out right now. <laughs> this is a little, a little bit uncomfortable for a church of Christ. All right? Worship is to raise your hands. Worship is to bow down. It is to lift your voice loudly. 
There is no word for worship that means stand still, sing quietly with your hands in your pockets. <laughs> uh, I think I have a, an image of this. Um, can we just go to that Baptist image? I'm not picking on Baptists, <laughs> but really, this could be any one of us. It really could. Now, the po- part of the... Okay, let's take that. I really am not picking on Baptists. I love Baptists. I love the whole body of Christ, but yeah, let's take it off. (laughs) Thank you. Um, The point is, like, we're not just souls or spirits in a body, right? So that the important stuff, like the real stuff happens in our heads or our hearts. We are, in, in the Hebrew understanding of what it means to be human, we are embodied spirits. We're embodied souls. There's no division between the mind the soul and the body. They're all unified together, which means that what you do with your body has a massive impact on your mind and your heart. And vice versa, what you're doing with your mind and your heart should have an impact on your body. Glenn Packiam writes this, I am not a spirit who has a soul. Uh, it should be on the, on the slide. Sorry, I've jumped around a bit. Thank you. You're awesome. I am not a spirit who has a soul and who lives in a body. I am a unified being, three in one, or something very like it. When two persons interact, they do so on a physical, mental, and emotional level simultaneously. Worship is not simply a spiritual encounter. Worship is an embodied act. We do not simply worship the Lord with our hearts. We do so with our whole integrated being. I mean, think about this in a marriage. Like, if, if in a marriage there was no physical contact, there was no physical expression of love, but you're just saying, well, I love you with my words. Well, that marriage is not going to survive for very long. And that's true of any relationship. As we go deeper into any relationship, our sense of physical connection grows stronger. And that's well and good. And it should be the same in worship. As we grow in our ability to worship, it should involve more of who we are. Heart, mind, and body. Okay? Physical expression actually releases something powerful in worship. It gives room for our experience of worship to deepen because we're bringing more of ourselves to the moment. Are you with me? And actually, when we worship, if we use our bodies in in ways that help us uh, to worship more fully and more deeply, it actually can help focus our minds and focus our hearts. Often I come into worship and I'm distracted and I'm thinking about a million different things or all other stuff on my mind. I find, you know, if I'm just standing there waiting for something to happen, nothing ever happens. But if I say, no, I'm actually present myself physically before the Lord, I'm going to raise my hands, I'm going to kneel, or I'm going to really lift my voice and sing from the heart, suddenly my experience of worship begins to change because I'm focusing my whole being to the Lord, not just my mind or my heart or just waiting for God to do something. I'm saying, here I am, Lord, I present myself before you, I honor you, I worship you, and I raise my hands, it's often an expression of my my longing for God, my need for God, my surrender to God. You know, if I kneel, it's often me saying, Lord, I I just bow before you. I want to offer myself to you completely, or I might be in in a moment of repentance or confession or whatever it is. I often try to ensure that my body is doing what my heart is saying or what my head is saying, or if neither of those things are in alignment, if I often find if I change my posture, change what I'm doing with my body, it helps me to enter into worship. Final quote here, and then I'm going to uh, stop and invite the band to come on up. There is a very powerful link between what we do with our bodies and how we feel. And I think oftentimes we think that um, our feelings should, should lead us. 
our emotions should lead us. Like, if we're not feeling it, then it would be inauthentic to really worship, like to lift my hands or to kneel, right? But you know what? I hardly ever feel like going to the gym. What I really feel like doing is staying in bed and eating junk food, right? If I let my feelings lead my life, my life would be a total disaster. I have to let my beliefs lead my life and then let my emotions follow what I believe. So if I present myself authentically before the Lord, that means my beliefs should dictate my actions and trusting then that my emotions will follow. If I lead with my emotions, I will just, I'll never show up to church, right? I'll I'll never really want to worship. I want to do something else that seems more fun. But if I really want to encounter the Lord, I've got to present my life, my heart, my soul, and my body before Him. You with me? All right, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to worship together. I'm going to invite the band to come on up.